So I'm Sinyo Shlom Arbus, uh, the CEO and founder of Intelligo Group. Um, can you share just a few words about Intelligo Group before we get into a little bit about yourself? Definitely. Intelligo Group is on the mission to empower trust in the world. That's a real passion. But we're an automated background check company. So in the world of background checks, whoever doesn't know that world, it's a very common practice in the business world. So pre-hiring, if you're looking to hire somebody, you want a background check. If you're looking to invest in a company, you want a background check. So it's very common. And we wanted to be a product that is very accessible and very user-friendly and very simple and cost-effective to use because it's a very important tool because you want to be able to trust the person you're working with and create a transparent world. So that's Intelligo. Amazing. And just a little bit about trust in general. Can you tell me a little bit about, it's an obvious thing, but why is trust so important when hiring an individual or investing in an individual? How, how did you identify trust being one of the key patterns or key markers? I think trust in general is one of the most basic elements of any relationship. Yeah. It could be a personal relationship. I have to trust my spouse, my wife or husband. I want to trust my kids. I want to trust my family and definitely business. I want to trust my coworkers. If you don't have that most basic element, you don't know nothing. So it's one of the most basic elements. And the person could be the most talented person in the world. If you can't trust them, you can't work with them. So it's one of the most crucial elements you really need to check. Got it. And can you give an example of just understanding of how do we build trust across these data points? How do you build a picture of trust? I mean, it's very hard to really identify if you can trust a person. Um, but it's mostly about comparing things to sets that actually happen in the reality. So like basic elements, did what you published on LinkedIn yeah. is really true. Do you have that degree? Did you actually work in those places? Did the stories you actually talked about really happen? And things like that. Those are the basic ways and really then to create, to check the accuracy of things you say. And in general, reputation also. Reputation is based on, from a basic meeting, you can't know much about a person. But if you hear about many people in a way from crowd knowledge, you can get a better perspective about a person. So if you go out, then that's a risky because some people can say things that are not exactly true about you. So it has to be in, in light of a macro perspective, meaning not one or two people saying something, but a larger group. So if you see that on social media and other places and you see there's something common being said about a person, you'll be more to tend that maybe that's related to truth, although you ne it's never accurate. So talking about this data points and privacy, right? there seems to be a big push towards identifying these new forms of understanding about character. So you mentioned social profiles is one of the areas or you're also skimming through different articles that, or different pieces of information that through public data that's available about the individual, right? That's, right. So, you know, there is this always this pull between privacy of an individual, right? And also what's available publicly about it, right? So how do we walk that fine line in terms of there is a public persona they've been able to pay for or build, but that's not really who they are. Right. Privacy is definitely a value yeah. which should be respected. If you ask me what is my general approach about privacy, but there's a price to it in a sense that if I'm so strict about my privacy and there's limits to what people can know about me, it might affect their judgment and their decision making. So bottom line, how do you find the right balance yeah. between privacy and allowing people to make decisions is to give you the power to decide what you're sharing. And I think the world should go to that. You don't have to share anything, but if you want a better chance to be hired, I need to know more about you. So it's for you to decide. 
is it enough just based on what's basic information? Or would you like to share more so it can help us make a better decision? And would be you as an individual that can have the, the power to trust what you're sharing and whatnot. That's where I think the world should go to. Now, Europe is very advanced. You have the GDPR and others. Yeah. And with overpriced uh, privacy, there's also prices because you don't know really who they're dealing with. So in the world of empowering trust, how do you empower trust when everything is so private? So everything affects everything. So it's never a clean thing to add or trust or privacy. It's like you have to find the right balance between two. And then in terms of from an employer standpoint, without going too directly into the tool, right? is the employer, does, do they have metrics of what they're saying, the type of things they're looking for? And then they can determine those are the things I want to see in this person's profile, or is just a different or overall scraping of the person's information that, that builds a profile? So first thing, a profile for pre-hiring is not only based on a background check. It's based on many other different things. It's only, it's only one component, which mm-hmm. is a crucial component, because without that, if you can't trust the person, obviously, it doesn't matter what his resume is. So it's only one component. And has to be very clearly based on facts and not assumptions and not theories and not anything else. Because if you make a decision based on a result of a background check, if to hire or not, you have to be very accurate about what you're saying. Uh-huh. One of the companies that I have a relationship with in San Francisco is called Checker. Right. right so they're just incredible friends of Lahaim in San Francisco because their approach is they, they're essentially guiding those people who don't know they're doing massive background checks for te- a lot of temp workers like Uber or Lyft and others. So for them, what's interesting is that actually 15% of their company that they employ are people who are formerly incarcerated, uh, which is really fascinating right? because they found that individuals who you might think to discount because of a certain factor in their profile could actually be an excellent employee because of the lessons they have learned. Right. Right. So how do you determine those markers, right? So for example, one I know most about is people who've gone to prison. For some people, one would say, well, that's a marker that I can't trust them. On the other hand, the learning experience from what has transpired and what they might have gained from that could be actually the best signal for them to be a great hire. Right. So thank God I don't have to deal with that question because because I'm not the one to determine. So there's what's market practice and what people expect. At the end of the day, that's why we don't give any recommendations, meaning I give you a decision-ready report in a sense that all the information you need to know will be in the report. But does this mean that because of this data point or because of that result, you should hire or no? No. It's based on your experience and your approach. And everyone has his own approach to things. I'm a data provider in that sense, but I give you the high quality data. Right? What do you do with the data? How do you make a decision? I leave it for you. Mm-hmm. Got it. So you're, you're not making a judgment call on is this a person great hire or not? It's just this is, you're an aggregator, you're yes. a search engine of a human being. Exactly. Okay. Very cool. Interesting. In San Francisco, there's laws about you know hiring a person based on certain. You know, you're not allowed to run a background check on their criminal history, for example, before you made a commitment to have an interest in hiring them. Sure. Is there some sort of information that you're not able to access for the employer because their information is protected, but either from what you mentioned about protection rights in Europe or certain levels in in America. Are there certain barriers to what you can see or what you can't see when you're scanning a person? Sure. In the world of, F- of pre-hiring and pre-loan, which is under FCRA regulation, um, there's a lot of restrictions. You need the consent of a person to run a background check. 
it's limited to look seven years back and many others. So there are a lot of limitations around that, which I think I understand and appreciate the approach saying, we want you to hire a person based on the right reasons or not hiring based on the right reasons. And you want to find the balance between the privacy of that individual, allowing him a fair opportunity for a credit reporting, like to really get this job, despite whatever happened in the past. And that's a balance you're trying to find. And that's the reason for all everything around the, around this regulation. In terms of the, your customers who are looking to hire you, why are they turning to you rather than a different solution? First thing it's important to emphasize, right now we only serve financial institutions on a pre-investment product. So if I'm looking to invest in a company, I'll do a background check on the individual company. Is it, I mean, individual founders? Or founders, okay, exactly. Interesting. So that's a specific niche at the moment. Yes. We are planning to expand to the markets uh, pre-hiring, but we're not there yet. I can't give you a market perspective. I can tell you what makes us unique, and it's mostly about the amount of data we can gather compared to others. It's also a cost matter, meaning Checker is limited to very low-cost budgets, and they have to create the most sustainable, valuable product based on that pricing for clients. Yeah. It's a big challenge. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing thousands and daily of checks, right? So the, the type of checks that you're also looking to run is much more comprehensive. Yes. We are the most comprehensive solution out in the market, done automatically. So on the pre-hiring, on the level of Checker, you have at least six large companies doing the same. Checker did very smartly, focusing on specific niche right. of sharing economy. But on that specific industry, you have a lot of competitors. We went to the high-end markets of comprehensive background checks, which is dominated by manual service providers. And we said, we'll come with an automated solution for that with all the benefits around that. And on the long term, we'll be a, lot, a one-stop uh, solution, meaning if you as a, as a large corporation, sometimes you have a need for comprehensive background checks, and sometimes you need a basic background check. So in the long term, we want to be that one-stop solution, finding everything in one platform. Got it. Well, last question about this piece before we get into Definitely. a few other things. This is, although this is extremely fascinating for me. I'm meeting a lot of entrepreneurs who are, who are looking for investment, right? So they're kind of on the receiving end of, of the investment. How, what can they do in order to have a better chance of scoring well through Intelligo's search on them? Like, what are the type of factors? And if they were going to hack this search engine, right? Obviously, they can't pay because it's called a bribe. So you can't go right. to the top of the results. But what are some of the factors that they need to be aware of as investors are looking at more of these more sophisticated due diligence processes? Be honest, be yourself, and don't be arrested. Um, <laughs> but joking. But at the end of the day, especially in the world of startups, people invest in people. Because there's an idea, and it's, it's interesting, but a lot is about execution. Thousands of people have good ideas. Like, how many times have you heard, I've thought about Uber before Uber was established? Yeah, sure. And I'm sure they well, have. Well, Uber was about... established before Uber was established. Exactly. Uh, and they were a limousine on demand service. Right. So the uniqueness is not only about the idea, it's about can you actually execute that idea? Right. And that execution involves a lot of different things. It's your capability to break down the idea to, to the vision to an actual product to convince people it's a good idea and to do a market analysis, meaning there's a real business opportunity. Not only that my neighbor will want to use it, but like a lot of people want to use it. Then convince employees that they believe in this idea and then go to investors to believe in this idea and then to manage a company. That's why it's much more complicated. So it's, it's a challenge, but people invest in people. So they want to know that they can invest in you as an individual. 
And that's the most basic thing. To summarize that, if you have a fake article or degree that you claim you have on your LinkedIn profile, it'd be best for you to reconsider that approach. Right. And my, <laughs> for sure. And if you already had a problem, our services called reputation management, which could, <laughs> we will find those things because we're aware about them, but it, it will help your first time impression about people looking into your profile. That's right. So but I encourage people to be honest and transparent. It's interesting that I come from former Soviet Union and my father was a you know, very successful entrepreneur in that, in that area. Those businesses were built on a lack of transparency. Right. Right. Uh, a certain individual who is not an oligarch who used to work for my father came to him. I can't mention names. He literally said his uncle was happened to be in the government. He was selling an oil refinery and they were willing to sell at a very low cost. You had the right type of connections, the right type of financial abilities for that individual if you're willing to bribe. You know, but what's interesting is with the internet and with AI, we're looking to this place of higher level of transparency. Uh, where things are becoming more and more uh, above board. Right? Right. And then your tool, in certain degrees, it's again, it's, a, it's bringing a certain level of transparency, a higher level of transparency and trust to the marketplace. Right. right? That you, can, you think that you can create a fake persona, but in reality, that, that will come with a price. Right. So where does this interest in trust come from? Like, where does that come from for you? You mentioned you worked for a company that did this work manually. Right. right? But before you joined that company, was trust something that you learned from your parents or was something that was a crucial value that came up for you? First thing, yes. My father used to tell me, I don't care you failing in a test, just don't copy. And I'll be very angry if you copy, but I'll respect you if you worked hard and failed. If you don't work hard, I'll also be, I wouldn't be happy about that. But the worst is lying. And I grew up in a high school where during exams, there was no teacher in the room. And the component of trust was crucial. And later on, when I was becoming a lawyer, we were working with people who were evacuated from Gush Katif. So you're talking about people who is part of a disengagement and were evacuated from the houses. They lost their businesses. They did get compensation from the government. But we are presented a group of families who were approached by a businessman who told them, invest your money, your compensation money with me, and I'll give you 100% return on your money. And they lost everything. So wow. they lost the house, they lost the job, and they lost the compensation money. And what's painful is, in a very simple way, you could identify this person as a crook. The problem is they didn't have a real ability to check because until recently, to run a real, to get a real picture about a person, it was only something accessible because of price or complex or large law firms or corporations to really get this information. But you as a basic user was very limited because of data available, because of cost, because of other things. And that's painful. And that's really painful. Any person who was lied to and lost something because of that knows the pain about being lied about something. It's one of the most basic pains and strongest pains you can experience. If you can't trust a person, what can you do? So yeah, it's a lot of different small things touching you on the way. And obviously also, you never know what you're planning to do. So it brought me in a way to mistake, but being honest and trust is, is definitely a, a big component of like my education. Can you tell me just a few words about your, your dad and mom? What, were they entrepreneurs, professional? What did they do? For sure. I mean, I'm very fortunate to grow up in, uh, in a family where I highly respect and appreciate my parents. My father is a social entrepreneur. So he's a lecturer in Hebrew year and talks about social entrepreneurship, but that's what we grew up at home. A lot of it about talking about it, especially my father's book, his focus is on the Jewish world. And that's something that we really, was, like we talked a lot about it at home. 
And my mother, who works closely with Rabbi Riskin in Efrats, and she constantly involved in the community. So we grew up in a, in, the, in a house that really cared about what's happening around us. We're also taking risks. I think if you grew up in a, in a world, in an education, where there's no shame of being you know, unfailing, um, and you're appreciated by the fact that you tried and you worked hard for that, that's the value. And not actually succeeding. Because that's one of the major steps to success. And not measured about any point, how much did I rank in that exam or test, or did I succeed in something? It's more about the way, not about the results. So it's definitely a key component. Your parents are Olim, right? So, you know, I kind of cheated in this interview, just public service announcement. And I told that to Shlomo, I said, there is, I'm cheating because I want to understand what it means to be a child of Olim, right, who becomes an entrepreneur. So right. w- w- what was the motivation? Your parents left South Africa, correct? Yes. My father made Ali on the age of, he came to Yeshiva on the age of 18 and, and he stayed. Which Yeshiva? Kerembiavne. Oh, really? Wow. That was like, that was just when it was starting. Yeah. And then he served in the army, but he was forced to serve also in the South African army. He had to go back. My mother actually, so my grandmother is from South Africa. My grandfather is Israeli. And because of his work, he traveled a lot. So most of the time she grew up in, or in South Africa or in the States. But he was Israeli and my grandmother was South African. And did you know from a young age that you're going to want to start a company at some point? Was that something, was entrepreneurship something that you just, no. from hearing about social entrepreneurship from your father or it was something that you felt strongly that you wanted to lead a team or group? No, I always thought that I'm going to the world of education. That's my passion and still my passion. What I learned about myself in the army that I like to be in the place where decisions are made and not being told everything. And that's why I became an officer. I mean, that's it's also because obviously it's important, but I like to be in the place where I understand what I'm doing. And I also discovered later on in my professional life that I like being in a way independent. If I'm passionate about something and I think this is the way it should be done, so the only way to do it is if you're independent at the end of the day. I understand. Now, I love what you mentioned here about uh, education. So my background is education as well. And, and when I was running the company in San Francisco, I found that one of the best place environments to grow as human beings is in the workplace. It's sometimes the place where most people are willing to change or grow or develop. So... For you, education, how do you understand education? Why do you see yourself as education? Still, you're a CEO of a company. How do those things work for you in your mind? What's education? How are you still an educator? First thing, I'm not sure. I am an educator. I'm hoping to be. <laughs> education is, is interesting. How do you define education? Like my father always say, the way you live your life is the biggest impact you have on your surrounding. Meaning, you don't have to say something to impact. You have to live a certain way. And that's the most real way to really educate so with my kids is like most of their impact would be they see how i live and how i behave and how i talk with people and if i'm respectful and others that's the biggest impact of education and hopefully in business too so the employees could see how we operate how we treat people how we treat business i don't think i'm something special in education i'm passionate about working with people and I feel that education has such a big impact on how a person will grow. And we always impact each other. People have a tremendous power to, to affect other people. And it's enough sometimes that a person feels that you believe in him and you care about him. That's all he needs to fulfill his mission in life. And that's why education is so important. Who are one or two people, in addition to your father or mother, that you were, were some mentors or educators in your life? Maybe in the army or an employer that you say that you'd point out and you say that person, 
I learned so much from being around him, that individual. So many, but I can tell you what really touches me. It touches me to see a person, I love modest people, and I love modest people who have a lot to be proud of. You see like people who could be the most successful people in the world. They are the most successful people in the world, and they should get the largest amount of respect, and they're so modest, and they're so simple, and they treat you eye to eye, and they really care about what's happening around them. That's really influences me. Is there a person that comes up that you feel Many. comfortable sharing? I mean, Eileen Marie, our CEO. Uh, Sorry? Eileen Marie, the CEO of Bridgewater, is also an investor in our company, is one of the most fascinating individuals I've ever met. Something that is interesting that I'm trying to find this balance as well. San Francisco, I, a lot of my friends were also founders. The fact that I had a certain faith was not a barrier. But the fact that I had a family with young kids was very different from a lot of my friends in San Francisco. Right. So do you mind sharing a little bit just how you find that balance as an entrepreneur between family, you have young kids, you have a responsibility of you know employees and a mission you want to create, some tools that you feel like can other entrepreneurs could learn from in that area? Well, hardest question in the world and probably the most important one also because no doubt for me the most important thing in life is family. Yeah, it seems that way. And in the same time, you have a great responsibility towards your investors, your employees. And in a way, I feel that as an entrepreneur, you want to leave an impact in this world, meaning I built something that really made a difference. That's one of the most satisfying feelings that you can have. And to do that, you need to have a lot of commitments. Now, I really think, and that's something that took me time to understand, you need to spend time, that's for sure. But if you are on the personal way of, on the personal life, if you really care and involved in important things, if you involved with your family, if you help nonprofits, if you're part of your community, despite the fact you spend less time and work, I think your impact is much bigger because you're a better human being and it opens up your head and it makes you a better person. You'll be a better professional also on the business side. So my answer is in the world of, as an entrepreneur, is there are stages. The first stage, you really need full commitment and there's a price. For every, every decision you make, there's a price. Just think about if it's worth the price. But at a certain point, you have to understand that it's actually good that you're not only focused, that you have a life, you have hobbies, you care about things, you're involved in the community you involved with your family and you're there, not only doesn't hurt your business, I think it will only make your business better. So are there rituals that you have that make that clear? Like for certain people, it's Shabbat, where they are not available to work one day a week. For some people, it's not turning on the phone some part of the day. Do you have certain principles or rituals that you have with your family that cut off from your focus on the work at that time? So first thing, I travel a lot. So I do my best. And it's like 99%, I'll never spend a Shabbat overseas. So I'll be with my family. It's also being available. So if I see my kids calling, unless I'm sitting with their prime minister, I'll probably answer. If my wife calls twice, I know that even if I'm in a meeting, I'll answer immediately. I think it's crucial. But really now, tell in a meeting my wife is calling, I want to answer her. And it's important. Because the person who's paying a price for me managing a company is actually my wife. And kids. So the most basic thing is to be available, both emotionally and time-wise, to if they need to talk about anything. So those are the things. I'm not doing it well enough, I can tell you that. But with time, you understand how important it is that I can tell you. 
speaking 40 now. So now's the time you really understand what is more important in life and what is less. How do you create that in your company? I see there's a lot of individuals who are married in your company. I'm just comparing San Francisco. That's my frame of reference. For them, really, they're working 13, 14 hour days. People are there. You know, there's a gold rush mentality, except for one week of hog, which is burning man. So besides that, you're really focused. So can you tell me like, what kind of culture you're trying to create an office for your employees for that? For sure. First thing, there's nothing like talent. It's not about time. It's about qualities. If you see a talented person, it doesn't matter what his background, if he has a family or kids or wherever he came from, those are the people you want to work with. And I tell them things more important in this company, to be honest, and I want this company to succeed. I had a story with one of my employees coming to me crying that she's pregnant. I say, why are you crying? She'd be the happiest person. And she felt she was embarrassed to say that she might have to go on maternity leave. And I say, that's an amazing thing. Having kids is much more important than Intelligo. And, and if you always tell, if you have a friend that needs help or anything, go leave work and go there. It's much more important than Intelligo. And people have to have the right priorities in life. Doesn't mean you don't have to be serious in work. Doesn't mean you don't have to be commitment. But there's no conflict between the two. Just find the right way to balance between the two. So if you find that people have the right priorities, and also time, there's a feeling, especially I feel in Israel, that if you sit for 13 hours, that's the way to feel committed. And there's a lot of work to do, and, and you do need to achieve a lot. But to be effective, it's not necessarily working 13 hours. It's being focused. And a great example is, is like mothers with kids. I think what they do in eight hours is much more than other people doing 13 hours. Because the, the value of time is very different. So it's not about the time. It's more about the people who you are, what their values are, and how serious and if they're talented. Amazing. Amazing. I appreciate you saying that. For me personally, I appreciate that. But it's true. That's it. And we have to be honest about it. And yes, it's not easy to have women that go on maternity leave, especially because they are so talented. So you really feel their absence. But yes, it's more important than work. And... A blessing will come. Seriously, I always think there's a blessing of doing the right thing. I hear in your office, again, I wish everybody could see this, there's clearly a lot of different cultures in the office. There's a lot of different way people dress, and, you know, but the vibe is very fun here. I hear also a lot of English in the office. Is it that you guys have, you hire a lean in terms of there a lot of lean that are hired in the company? or I don't define that the goal is to hire a lean, but... I hire good people, so it doesn't really matter if the Olim is ready, they're just good. It's true, we have a lot of Olim. I think we have people from Australia, Canada, South Africa, Singapore, the US, obviously. It's a great added value. Like people, everyone brings in his DNA and his background a different perspective, and I think it's great, and it only empowers a company. Interesting. What are some hiring practices, maybe other entrepreneurs could learn from you guys. You see, you've mentioned a few times, we'll hire great talents. That's our focus, no matter you know, the cultural diversity is important to us. What, is there something that we can learn from you in terms of the hiring technology that you guys use? It's a good question. I, I don't know if we have the best hires. I don't know. But I think, first thing, a vibe of a company is crucial. I think one of the most important things working in, in startups is a person with the right approach in life. And that's an optimistic and positive approach because you constantly, it's a real, it's a real cost. So you're constantly dealing with challenges. And the biggest question is, how do you deal with a challenge? Are you very pessimistic? Does it crush you down? Or are you very optimistic and you're very 
positive is that I can deal with it. And I always say, thank God we're not doctors. When we do a mistake, nobody dies. Right. Um, so if you have people with the right vibe that are optimistic, happy, you can deal with nearly how, how every do, challenge. How do you interview for that? I mean, do you go and to just based on a therapist just send, as the therapist will send you the charts or? No, it's just a vibe. But just having a long conversation. Our interviews include a lot of questions about trying to understand who you are as an individual, less about your professional background. Obviously, once you conclude that, then you check the professional and... One of the things my partner initiated is really to also not only let people talk about things, but actually test them about in a practical way. So during the interview, they have to do some kind of a test to really examine their capability. So the combination, once you know they're good people and you know that they're also real professional and they can stand behind what they say, I think a great thing. Look, we also have still a lot to learn from, but those for me are two basic things. Plus, your office is very hot. So I feel like just, just just getting people in the hot seat, I feel like just the temperature here is a little higher. Yeah, we're the in the worst room to sit in. America um, is not working in this room. It's great. No, I just, I love it. It just keeps, sometimes I... And now the rooms are cold. So there was a place in, in San Francisco I used to, when I had a very serious meeting with somebody, I would take them to a place called Kabuki Spa, which is essentially, it's kind of like a Japanese banya. Right, so we'd go first to, you know, different, different pools, a sauna, cucumbers and eyes and then you go into the other room and you talk about serious things so whenever i need to make a very big ask or vice versa it would always be going to a very hot room first and then everything else <laughs> after that feels very cool you that's know? a good idea it's yeah I, like, i'm suffering right now this it, room. it's like oh my gosh you're looking it's the worst room in the office we could have chosen it's okay well yeah. we have just a few more minutes and then uh, um, sure. so one last question before i want to ask you if you have any anything specific you want to share so the company is raised from what I've seen is $4.6 million. So is that is that the latest or is that something? No, but we can't talk about it. Perfect. Great. So, But publicly, what's out there is $4.6 million. Uh, no, it's 5.3. Publicly, I think. Publicly. So that means I look 5.3 publicly. Okay. And we're not going to talk about anything else. But as an entrepreneur who comes into an office asking for investment, how do you not be, feel overwhelmed? or intimidated by the people across from you? Because they're kind of interviewing you. You are on the receiving end of the interview. Yeah. You, usually you're in the CEO position used to interviewing others. So how do you prepare for yourself for that? Other tools that you recommend to other entrepreneurs who are in the process of raising around? It's a good question. Or asking their family for money, <laughs> which is usually how most small businesses would start. Look, I think being passionate is 50% of the work. Another 50% is to being well prepared for the meeting meaning coming prepared to know what these people ask about and what you need to prepare, knowing the numbers and having a clear vision and to show you that you're really professional. So to being something very passionate about something that you truly believe in it. And if you think about it, most startups are doing something that other people thought are not achievable for any reason. And why are you the one to achieve that thing? And you have to convince. And mostly in the beginning, you have nothing to convince with, meaning it's based on a vision. So you have to make this vision very clear and also explain what is the vision and how I can execute it and why I can execute it to ensure that in a practical way, you understand what you're saying about how I can do it. Amazing. Is there, is there anything that you think you want to share before we go that would be relevant for, again, an entrepreneur? who is either raising money or trying to build, put his product out to the, to the world or hiring his fourth or fifth employee? Is there some piece of wisdom that you have been taught or through pain <laughs> have gained? I think one important thing is, is having a good supportive group. 
in a sense of having mentors. I discovered people in general are very good, like yeah. good people, and people want to help. All you need is to ask and learn from others' people experience. And Chacham Kebani Sayon is so true. So learn from others' people. Nothing you're dealing with, nobody dealt with before. I mean, everyone had this experience. If you can consult with people, to be a CEO is, is a very lowly position. And you have to create an environment where you can share with your feelings, your thoughts, and concerns with other people and learn. It's constantly you have to learn. You come to a place that you feel you don't have what to learn, you're in a problematic spot because you're just not modest anymore. In a true way, because there's always what to learn. And that's not... For me, it's easy to say because I'm not one of the successful CEOs in this country, but you can hear a podcast of the CEO of Wix talking about he has a group of three CEOs he's constantly consulting with. And he's one of the most successful companies in Israel. So having the people you can brainstorm and consult with and support your emotion is also very important. Uh, I have to say, when I reached out to you, I Shloman doesn't just talk about it. He, he really embodies it because I reached out randomly from... LinkedIn, and I thought maybe you want some time in the past I fed him, so maybe he'll be okay with meeting <laughs> me because because maybe in San, he'll be in San Francisco again in the future, and he'll he doesn't want me to poison his food as uh, God forbid. So I I am so grateful that you were able to make time and share this with me. It's been really uh, personally challenging advice and information. It's very challenging what you're saying, which is an emphasis on character, not showmanship. That's very difficult. Thank you. By the way, I'm very passionate about food, so that's probably one of the... <laughs> yeah, oh. but thank you very much. <laughs>